0: So, what do you think of this um, new format we're going to try out? think it's going to work.
1: Yeah, I think I think the news will really be good. This this week, though, I did not have much time to prepare. So, instead of asking, you know, at the end, Heidi, what do you think? Just kind of maybe pa- pa- just pause like a couple seconds, and then if I have anything to pipe in, I will. But for a lot of these, I'd say half of yours. I don't have much to say. So if I don't have anything to say, just kind of, you know, go with it and and say, okay, moving along. And I know that you prefer and really want an, uh, a discussion. And so for next time, I think we'll use this wiki and get, and achieve that more. But this time, I don't think we're quite going to achieve it. It might be a little bit more of a, you know a grocery list but it's also your thoughts and i think that your thoughts are definitely valid and people like them a lot and so it's not just okay here's this news here's this news it's still your thoughts so
0: okay okay well if you uh have comments or something on some on something as i said i'll i'll just pause and uh then you can you know if you (laughs) i bet you have tons of comments on a lot of these things so Whatever
1: well, for some of them the tools i I didn't install them I didn't have a chance so. oh, I,
0: yeah, I don't really have a strong uh, understanding of her, of much of this either, which is yeah, I mean, who has time to go through all this but anyway uh, so let let's let's get started and we can jump around or anything, but otherwise um we can kind of just go down the list um but let's. Well, let me just make sure. I'm always paranoid that like, things not going to record, so I have yeah, I have a couple of different recording things going. Um, when we introduce the podcast, uh, I'm going to say, you know, hi, I'm Tom, and then can you say your name? Like, hi, I'm Heidi, and then I'll say this is Tech Writer Voices. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think this time we should also state, you know how you have that table of contents on the wiki? Yeah. Should probably go through a lot of them and just say okay that's what we're going to talk about and then we'll get into it you know cuz a lot of times we don't give them a good roadmap
0: okay sure sure all right welcome to tech writer voices my name is tom johnson
1: and i'm heidi hanson
0: and today we have a little different style of a podcast in the times past we've kind of focused on a specific topic but this time we're going to try to cover some of the news that's related to technical communication. We're going to talk a little bit about a new funding model for chapters, Adobe Labs' My Feeds, a study on informal learning, um, Word 2007 and an add-in for it that allows you to do conditional text, a Jared Spool article that was somewhat controversial, and a few other things. uh, A Dig clone, a... uh, (laughs) Uh, <clears throat> Alan Hauser's conference recommendations, a new definition of a technical writer, some good articles from Intercom. Um, what else? Well, we'll see. That sounds like a good enough summary. Is that all right?
1: That sounds great.
0: So, at the top of this list here is that we have is uh, this new funding model. Not at the STC conference, they talked about this pass-through type model where uh, members of chapters would kind of pay the parent society a certain amount, and then they'd pay the chapter a certain amount, and chapters would receive the, the direct amount that is paid to them. I, I don't know all the intricacies of this, but uh, this, fit really, this fit really well in with Joe Walensky's special presidents and treasurers meeting to discuss the chapter funding. And the uh, it's actually kind of a really interesting fact that joe brought up that i wanted to cover let me just dig it out here amazingly uh, where to put it okay he he somehow got a hold of the stc like budget report of 2006 and previous years and something a lot of people don't know is that of your 150 dollars dues that you pay to join the stc only $13.62 goes to the chapter rebates, which essentially is the money that comes back to the chapters. So a lot of people think, wow, I paid all this money and, you know, I should be getting all these things, but really you get a tiny sliver of that. And what's kind of like jaw dropping is that $13 of your dues goes to rent to fund the $316,000 a year yearly fees for the office staff in D.C., but which uh,
1: in which in their defense they already acknowledge have acknowledged in past podcasts and presentations is they realize that is astronomically high rent and they're trying to renegotiate that and uh, get that under control in the coming years.
0: Definitely, I definitely hope they do. But I like the new funding model because it will it will make the money that comes to the chapter more tangible, more direct. People could probably be able to say, yeah, okay, I have 150 members. I should be getting the X amount of dollars. So it's a little clearer.
1: Yep. Thumbs up on the uh, more transparency and just uh, addressing the issue.
0: Cindy Curry's, well, one of the results of Joe's special meeting with the presidents and treasurers was to be included on on a task force so that we have input. So if you're interested in in that and you're president or treasurer of a chapter, contact Cindy, or contact, yeah, I think Cindy Curry to be on the task force. Another interesting bit of uh, news. This is a tool news. My feeds from Adobe Labs is a new tool. And this caught my attention for a couple of reasons. One is that there there seems to be more tools coming out that can manipulate RSS feeds. You've probably heard of Yahoo Pipes, Microsoft Popfly, Google's now coming out with a mashup editor, um, there's other little tools, feed blender. All these these tools are taking feeds and doing interesting things with them. And my feeds I didn't even know Adobe had a Labs division. Apparently, one of their latest things is MyFeeds, and it allows you to basically create a few tags that you're interested in, and then it will pull articles from the web that are related to those tags, and then you can give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, or note if it's on topic or off topic. You can add tags yourself, and you can pull the feed to show it on your blog.
1: I think this is a really neat feature just because I started using the Google reader, online feed reader, this past week. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that there are just so many that you're bombarded with, and it would kind of be nice... To just say, okay, I'm interested in this, and then you have this one little category, this one little area that you always that's continually monitored for you, and you just kind of go there if you if you want the information on that subject. Instead of saying, you know, instead of having 155 feeds that you know are coming at you here, there, and everywhere, but but they're not so uh, spontaneous. This is a way to be a little bit for them to push something at you that's a little bit more random uh, which you know it's uh you know you might not have known about that before
0: yeah, you, you mentioned this this pushing business rather than searching and um oh i just lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> i was i was going to say that um you know with all this information oh okay with all this information that that we try to process when we just have specific feeds in our feed readers, we're kind of locked into just the information from those sources. So this is one of those tools that that allows you to pull in from the entire web to gather new things that are coming out. Let's say somebody totally new starts a blog, starts a podcast. It's all about topics you're interested in, but maybe you're not subscribed to that feed. You you wouldn't know unless you had one of these tools that is pushing information from the general web into your your view naturally so yeah
1: this to me is this is equivalent to the effect you get when you read an entire newspaper cover to cover you discover articles and sections you don't normally read but yet just the uh, sheer act of browsing so it kind of allows you to get that browsing feel
0: speaking of pushing things out to you I, I subscribed once to a, a comment thread on Monkey Pi that I've decided is now the most famous blog post in the blog in the TechCom blog world. This was the the post where the anonymous blogger who goes by Monkey PI declared that RoboHelp 6 was finally out and that it was craptastic. And there've been about 62 comments now and they just kind of keep trickling in one every week or so for the last 2 months and they keep getting longer and more bitter. <laughs> And there's some notable names that have come in there. And uh, somebody who is an anonymous commenter, which is interesting because the actual blog is an anonymous blog. The commenter says, <laughs> Have you any idea how many technical writers are fed up with hearing about the history of RoboHelp and Madcap's new world domination? We are all intelligent enough to make choices based on what is presented to us. Please move on, MadCap Monkey PI. Stop bashing competitors' products. And enjoy a bit of healthy competition. I like this comment because this whole madcap Adobe debate is just getting really old. And, and, uh, you know, it just needs to be buried. And it's only getting a little more bitter at times. But, you know, personally, I was reflecting today on, and I don't really want to talk about this much here. But I was reflecting today on what I think the future TechCom tool will be. And I'm convinced that it's going to be a wiki but uh i'll state my reasons for that in another one speaking i'm
1: thinking it might be google you just anytime you want an answer to anything in your help it might just be a search box something like that
0: i agree people are turning to google on when they want answers for things just because there's more more information a lot of times
1: But I think that there's a niche for everyone, you know? It's like some people really like the help, and some people like videos, and some people like, you know, a Google search. It's kind of like, you know, it's not just one thing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's good to have a variety of tools. And I think this competition between these two giants is really healthy, too. I mean, as much as I say I'm tired of it, I like the fact that they're warring because they drive each other to produce better products, so...
1: Well, on that same note, you could we should talk about the Madcap Road Tour coming right up.
0: Yeah, do you want to mention that? Or do you want me to? I guess they're touring like dozen cities. Um, most of the same cities on the on on no. Nope. I was going to say the same cities that were Google Street Viewed, but no. If you live in San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, Houston, Toronto, New York, Boston, Pittsburgh, D.C., or Atlanta. You can get to go to a big Madcap event and they'll give you all kinds of demos and tutorials and things like that. So,
1: sixty nine bucks. Yeah, and you get a lot of features for more details. slash company slash events dot aspx.
0: Speaking of new tools, there's a couple of tools I want to mention. Word two thousand seven has a new published to pdf feature that i think a lot of people are really going to like you and for the most part when people wanted to create a pdf file they had to have adobe acrobat or some other pdf maker well now we're 2007 you can just save it as a pdf and it works really really well so i don't know what it's going to do to acrobat i mean you still can't comment on things you need acrobat for that but uh i think it's it's going to be pretty pretty popular um did you want to talk about an XML paper specification that, that Microsoft has?
1: Yeah, it's just uh, going along with it, what you're saying is, you know, what's the future of Acrobat? Well, now there's just one more thing in the mix, which is the XML paper specification that is being proposed, I believe, still in the proposal stage. Uh, or actually, it might. Be, I think you can save to it, too. But anyway, you can go to Wikipedia and look up for more information about that.
0: Google Analytics released a new version of their tool. Google Analytics is a tool that lets you see who is hitting your website. And and their tool is actually pretty spiffy. It's got a lot better graphs. You can see things much clearer. Like for example, I, I see that most people read my blog either at 10am or 5pm. On our Suncoast chapter blog, almost every visit is job related. <laughs> people are searching for jobs. Actually, we just put a new job stream on there from Indeed. That's got a lot of got a lot of hits. Interestingly, uh, it tells your browser breakdown of the people who visit my blog. Six hundred have Internet Explorer, and five hundred and sixty-one have Firefox. And seventy-two percent are new visitors. So Google Analytics tells you these type of um, statistics, and it can be useful just to understand your visitors. So definitely, if you don't have Analytics, you can. Put on any any site and track stats. All right. There's one there was an article that I ran into by Jared Spool that talked about the demise of technical writing. Now, he was it, it seemed it wasn't entirely explicit on his point, but the gist of it is that min, these trends of minimalism, the the chunking of online help into any order and, and more user-friendly applications is making the long manual that technical writers used to used to kind of thrive in obsolete. And so he says that it's, it's kind of marking the demise of technical writing. And uh, there were some good comments. Fred Sampson made a comment that I, I think was a great rebuttal. I mean, the, the last part of Jared Spool's article says technical writing won't be gone until the last writer dies, but it will be curious to see what happens with the field as we move into a world where intuitive design implies a manualist existence, and Fred Fred responds, I'm sure glad that I'm not a technical writer anymore. Some days I'm an information developer. Some days it's information architect. Some days it's interaction designer, usability tester, user experience evangelist. Some days it's instructor. This week I spent three days at a international con- internal conference on agile development. So. I really agree with Fred. Uh, the bulk of what I do all day isn't really writing instructions. It's it's re- a lot of peripheral tasks related to some of these things that Fred was mentioning. And there were some other comments on that. We'll post a link to that.
1: Yeah, this this is really interesting because the link, the actual link is, you know, uie.com, which is Gerald's Fool's company site, and then slash Sparks, and then he tells you the date, May sixteenth, two 2007, and then... The folder for that is where dash did dash technical writing go? <laughs> Implying where did, you know, the demise. But in actuality, a lot of these comments, just like the comments we're saying, is maybe it's just a maturing. Um, Michael Hughes says maybe it's just a maturing of technical communication. We had a chance to see at this year's conference how diverse we have become. I think that Susan Burton rolled out uh, the opening session, said it, salaries for the old definition have certainly gone down, and those jobs are diminishing. The new definition reflects who we have become. I'm with Fred Sampson all the way on his comment, except that I don't think that I left the reservation to get there. Tech writing is a quaint term that reflects where we got started, a lot like the term engineer. It shouldn't be misinterpreted to constrain where we are and where we are going, so... It's uh, you know kind of like what's our job title type of discussion again, and yet at the same time it, this made me kind of think about um, offshoring and outsourcing, and if some some technical writing duties go there, the, the Microsoft uh, presenter that I just attended in I think it was May of, at my STC chapter con- uh, chapter meeting, he said the same thing where if some of the more routine Technical writing tasks go overseas, so be it. You know I have m- my time freed up to do other tasks that my company deems um, not necessarily more valuable but perhaps more strategic, more um, less deliverable hard copy deliverable esque, and a little bit more um, with customer satisfaction or you know aligning myself with other strategic goals and initiatives so so there's a lot. I mean, I definitely think that there's a lot there for people to chew on with that article. But yeah, at the same time, it says demise of technical writing. Well, you know, maybe not.
0: You brought up Susan Burton's talk and the, the new definition of the technical writer. Um, it's interesting. Some Char James Taney pointed this out at a presentation. It's interesting that the new definition of technical writer doesn't even have the word writer. It's technical communicator and it kind of emphasizes the, that the person ensures the safe, effective, and appropriate use of technology, making it more accessible to people. You know, there's nothing in there about writing, which, you know, that's going to be a big battle to try to change that actual term, just because, I mean, every job post out there, every kind of person recognizes what a writer does, but a communicator is much more vague, and it, it does point to the difficulty of trying to Trying to package our profession into something uh, that doesn't quite, doesn't quite fit. Yeah, this
1: goes along well with what I considered kind of the four standout Intercom articles from the first half of 2007, and in the February 2000 issue of Intercom, uh, Michelle Murphy had an interesting article called "Protecting Yourself from Offshoring: Advice for U.S. Based Technical Communicators." And there was a little hubbub on the forums I was reading that, you know, this article, this the whole point of the February issue was supposed to be international technical communication, and yet on the cover was seemingly an article for U.S.-based technical communicators only, implying that, you know, that's international to U.S. or, you know, international issues for U.S.-based people. But once you get past that and you read the actual article, the key issue, she was kind of, she did something really neat. She... She wove um, the book *The World Is Flat* and some of the themes from that um, from that book uh, by Thomas Friedman. She she wove that in and applied it to te- technical communicators, which was really interesting. And one of the key takeaways from this application to *The World Is Flat* is that is that lifelong learners are the ones who will continue on at their organizations. And that you know, goes along well with Spool's demise of technical writing and, you know, what is our definition. And so that article is definitely worth a glance. And, um, and another, the other three Intercom articles that are don't miss from the first half, aside from Tom's, of course, that appeared in January, is the uh, e-learning trends in China by James Johnston was in the May 2007 issue and I find that few Intercom articles are heavily researched or name drop statistics or you know just a lot of them t- tend to be a little bit more anecdotal or from my experience and there is a place for that but there's also a nice place a nice it's refreshing when you do get one that's well researched and and this one was and he talked about um it, he just He just talked about okay, well, if China has this um, great need to educate a lot of a lot a lot of people, how are they going to do it and he was thinking okay well I th- they're probably going to uh, you know going to do it with a lot of online online coursework and e learning uh, and so he kind of mapped about and mapped that back to, okay, the technical writer has a definite place in that. So, that, again, that was e-learning trends in China in the May 2007 issue. I also really liked Neil Perlin. His column was quite good, a new model for help authoring, and he discussed... A lot of the themes that Tom tends to uh, gravitate toward: Web 2.0, user-supplied content, wikis. What is the technical communicator's role in that? So that appeared in the April 2007 issue, and I thought that was very good. And from this last issue, June 2007, there was an article by Goldberg and Nightingale called "Kicking and Screaming: Modernizing Today's Help Systems." And And that talked about what I talked about earlier with the Google, you know, what if the trend toward online help is your user wants to know something, they enter it into a Google search box, and he talks, he touches on that, these authors touch on that topic, and they also touch on, okay, web 2.0, but also, okay, if your help is on a server, now you're able to track search queries and website paths and your hit statistics, you know, kind of going back to Google Analytics, you know, what are you capturing? What are you offering your end user rather than just, you know, static throw your chum files out there or something like that.
0: Yeah, I was reading part. <clears throat> I was reading part of that kicking and screaming article, and didn't he say that uh, he recommended supplementing your regular help with like a wiki online or a user forum online where users could could contribute the, the sort of gaps and. I think add so. More to I it. think so,
1: and I think he was also. They're, they're kind of big on videos and that sort of that buffet style that I was talking about earlier about, you know, offer your users a lot of avenues to, you know, kind of hit what hit what they might like.
0: Yeah, there's as you say, there's lots of different users who like to learn in different ways. And there was a study that I found by the National Institute of Adult Continuing Education, and they found... That and this is among the UK, I don't know if that makes a difference, but uh, people prefer more informal ways of, of learning when they're trying to learn on the job. So a more formal way would be through documentation, official courses, uh, reading books, things like that. But the informal ways are from coworkers or doing, doing, the, thi- doing the job, um, just like, kind of like learning on it, learning from others, watching and listening to others. And so, I mean, that's really the preferred format that people have. I I like this study because I I tend to think that a lot of times documentation is overly formal and stiff. Like, uh, I mean, a lot of times contractions are considered, uh, I don't know, not approved by some style guides. And I think that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, people respond to more of the conversational human. I even think that... um, you know, as much as you can make the technical writer more personable and and uh, more of a, a friend, <laughs> so to speak, rather than this remote person writing in this disembodied voice that has no style whatsoever, I think that's not something that we should uh, fear.
1: Yeah, this rem- this reminded me of that book, The Social Life of Information. Uh, many years ago, about how you know the repair the repair workers who used to fix copier machines would go and have donuts together, and that's how they swapped information and how they how they got the bulk of you know they swapped these stories about repairing, and that's how they, they got the the bulk of what they learned. And it was just the social life of how information is traveled and actually used. So that goes along well with that. Well,
0: another another thing that I read about and in this long list of feeds that I you're always saying that I scanned out which is not really true actually I, anyway but I have
1: well I've noticed that I, it's it's I get a lot better global perspective because I subscribe to some papers internationally or something, and and I have, have enjoyed scanning 155, and I've noticed that I just went to your wiki, technical writing wiki that you set up for all technical writer blogs, and I just popped them all in there into Google Reader, and, and I've been enjoying having my news fed to me that way, and you just... You get to a point where there's so much glut where you just need to say, okay, mark all as read or at least mark certain of your feeds all as read so that you can feel as though you're not getting behind all the time. But yeah, I I agree that It's just a great way to go to keep up it's on a, trends. It's
0: a, it's a totally different way of taking in the news. I mean, I, I think Google Reader is actually the best reader out there for even though I have a feed demon, but I, I'm about ready to convert to Google Reader because... As you scroll down the list of feeds, like it loads more as you're scrolling down. So I, if you just have headlines, you can scroll down and you can have 300 feeds or whatever and and not be overwhelmed because, well, you can feel overwhelmed informationally. But it's not like you have to read them. You'd glance in at headlines for keywords that interest you. And the other cool and- thing
1: is that as you scroll down, it uh- – it shows you in a in a, numer- in a number that you can see with it, as you scroll. It it subtracts each one. So as you're scrolling down, say you've just read 10 headlines. Now you've now you have 10 fewer in your you know bulk list that you need to get to in your grand number. So say it starts at 100 and it quickly goes down to 30. And and you definitely feel so okay. I'm I'm getting there, and it's easy to see progress as you scroll
0: one thing that i that i saw is this dig clone um i don't even know called it's like an indian indian dig clone so it's called merch m-i-r-c-h-h but uh, if you don't know what dig is dig is one of these social news sites where users submit stories and everybody can rate them and the highest rated ones rise to the top and they're usually pretty interesting stuff well You know, there's lots of these different technologies that are popping up that let users rate things. And I know even Madcap has introduced a rating feature to their software. And I think that this is one direction that I think help is going. Because when you get user contributions, when they can actually rate things, whether you're writing technical documents or a newspaper or whatever, and you're doing some kind of communication, you can suddenly leverage those ratings and, and find what users are interested in. And users are much more interested in reading what's highest rated rather than just what happens to be, I don't know, on in the table of contents. So I think this this whole dig phenomenon or this whole rating phenomenon is definitely something that should be a part of of any website if possible or, or any kind of help documentation. But the, the interesting thing about this clone is that they, they kind of did it funny. They made it like a chili pepper, so the more people who rate it, the hotter it gets, and so it turns redder. So, I think that's, you know, that's pretty
1: definitely clever. And uh, I, when I was at the STC chapter meeting with the panelists, the trends panel and the Microsoft, uh, the Microsoft presenter panelist, he he said the same thing. He said, "You know, if we had rating systems, that'd be great because then you can actually f- focus in on those topics and make and put your technical writing resources." those topics so that, you know, you make them even better. They're getting all the eyeballs. So why not spend even more time on them, making them even better?
0: Definitely. All right. A couple other things. There's one other, there's one topic that I, I was hoping to get to. I know we're getting into about the 30 minute mark here. I listened to a podcast on motivation this week that just blew me away. And, uh, it was, it was about why motivation through pizza rewards doesn't work. And this guy was ta- his name is hard to pronounce. It's something like Alexander Kerzulf Kerwolf. He was talking about these rewards, um, reward sort of uh, programs or whatever that people institute, and and how that that doesn't really intrinsically motivate people. So this is more related to company sort of morale. And they did a study during the summer where they gave they rewarded kids who read books with pizza and they had another group where they didn't reward kids with pizza so after the end of the summer the kids who were rewarded with pizza for reading all these books so they after the pizza reward was taken away they kind of stopped going after they stopped reading whereas the other group didn't and they had a, another similar sort of study with heart uh, disease victims where one group they they threatened with death and the other group they tried to show them how wonderful life was and the difference was startling. It's like 10% changed their lifestyle in the first group and 70% in the other group. We were talking about this whole motivation topic because we, we were kicking around this idea of this member, um, member reward program where if you, if you went to the chapter meetings and you, you participated on the different committees, you'd get a t-shirt or something or some kind of rewards so on a pin, so some kind of plaque. And, uh, our vice president, Clyde, sent me this article and he said, you know, that's that's not going to really motivate anybody to do anything. And I think about the motivation in the workplace. And Technical writing is not one of those things where, well, some people think it's drudgery. So it's not really one of those things you dream about doing. So what is it that motivates you to do technical writing? And this guy on the podcast says you have to see the results of your work to really be motivated. And when you see the results of what you're doing, and those are positive results, then it can inspire you to keep doing that. And and that's the only true way. He mentioned a few other things like making things fun and you know praising. But really the results is something that definitely inspires people. So <clears throat> just to finish off this thought here, um, a lot of times when we write help, we're very disconnected from our users, or at least in some situations. We write it goes with the product you know and marketing takes care of the whole customer interaction thing and i think that can be somewhat damaging for technical writers it can it can be demotivating if you never hear back from users or if the only feedback you ever hear is is negative so but this podcast is certainly worth checking out it's um
1: Wow, so. Tom needs to be everyone's manager. Wouldn't you want to work for Tom? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but, yeah, But back in 1999 or 2001, uh, there was this book called Punished by Rewards, The Trouble with Gold Stars, Incentive Plans, A's, Praise, and Other Bribes. And it was written by Alfie Kohn, K-O-H-N. And it's a pretty well-known book, and, and it, it goes back to that exact same thing where intrinsic motivation is where it's at and other things... Uh, they they actually are a hindrance. They well they're a distraction, a hindrance, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's it's just not as definitely not as good as intrinsic motivation. And I think that that's definitely true with STC volunteers. Is uh, I was reading an interview with Diane Forsyth. Who, it's in our chapter newsletter, uh, Tom, <laughs> a newsletter on a chapter. But I I enjoyed it. It's, a, it's a, it was a great skim. And anyway, in this, and she's a definite veteran. Uh, of uh, the field and her and in her interview one of the questions was why do you still volunteer you know after all these years and you're at such a senior level and she said you know honestly at this point it's about social ties I just I just want to see people talk to people and have you know social interactions and enjoy myself and then and the other end I think that a lot of people maybe uh, who if you don't do it for social reasons, you do it for the recognition or the uh, what? Not recognition, but the results. Exactly what you're saying. So, so maybe you give somebody a certificate, and it goes into their uh, portfolio that they can show in an interview. Uh, something that I mean, obviously, a certificate is nothing to a chapter. It's just you know, that's a, it's a piece of paper, but it's really it's recognition. It's much more. And it's something that the, that the person can use, you know, going forward if they need it. And then the re- rewards and results are just, you know, pulling off something with other people that, you know, it, it, it proves, proves its worth to other people. I'm thinking of the competition. It, you know, people who attend and get feedback genuinely appreciate that, and that's the, the reward is in the result. So the result can you know, the and, and reward can be in the certificate that you of recognition that you might get at the end of the year when you know the a new president comes in and it also is you know seeing seeing people really enjoy their feedback in the competition or something like that
0: especially when that when that sort of reward is unexpected you know then it's really i think it works well too because then it's suddenly it wasn't as if the person was uh, demanding it or or, or anticipating it, and then all of a sudden you've you've rewarded them and it's it's created this uh this recognition without without punishing by rewards as this was saying but you know i was thinking that uh a lot of the popularity of blogging is also because of this r- results motivation there's no other i mean people have had journals throughout history but they've all usually been private journals or you know things that only friends read but uh when you start blogging suddenly you get comments from lots of different people and those comments are are changing shaping or reacting in some way with the different people who are reading your blog and you get to see all these results that are coming about from your posts and so that is is one of the reasons why people just when they start blogging they're suddenly surprised at at uh, how fun it actually is so Speaking of blogs, Shar uh, mentioned your blog at the presentation she gave at our chapter last Thursday, so just thought I'd let you know that. <laughs> she,
1: that. That was really funny about your post about, oh, this video went there, and then we're all intertwined. It's like, ah.
0: <laughs> Speaking of, of uh, posts, do you want to talk about Alan Hauser's conference recommendations? Oh, uh,
1: yeah. We'll wrap up here with that one. Uh, Al, Alan Hauser just started his blog. It's called the Group Wellesley Wire Blog. And, uh, and he, he had a neat post that I really liked. And all he did was say, okay, if you need to attend a technical communication conference, here are, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He listed about seven. And not only did he just list them, he listed the pros and cons of going to each from his perspective, and he's attend nearly all of them. So a great post uh, if you're in the market for some training. And uh, as we discussed earlier, we should all be in the market for training to uh, keep abreast with uh, trends. So the the conferences were Writers UA, Train Society for Technical Communication, uh, the summit, obviously now it's called, STC Summit Annual Conference, and LavaCon, TechCom, and that's spelled T-E-K-O-M FrameMaker Chautauqua CDIM which is uh, in Center for Information Design Management with Joan Hackos, uh, DITA 2007 EAST and XML 2007 so I invite you to check that out
0: alright well that's about all the news that we have for this week and if you have news items that you want us to or that you want to make us aware of that we might want to talk about on this podcast send it to one of us or tom at com or heidi will put her email on the show notes as well thanks heidi thanks tom